Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome into another edition of the JMU Sports News Podcast. I'm Bennett Conlon. I'm joined by Jack Fitzpatrick. And Jack, we had ourselves a very enjoyable Tuesday night. Yeah, nothing out of the ordinary. Just a normal night in Harrisonburg, Virginia. Some chants were being thrown at Tony Bennett that um, some people were upset about. And Jamie came away with the biggest win in program. Also, I had the biggest win in program history. I think my voice sounds a little bit weird, too, because of all the yelling last night in Finnegan's. Yeah, we had quite the time. <laughs> so we've got to get into basketball and then um, a little bit of football. We'll have a guest on. We'll preview that playoff matchup with... Montana, obviously a big sports week for the Dukes. We'll start with basketball. JMU hosted UVA. Uh, they actually won the game. They did? 50, they did. Sources have confirmed. 52 to 49. I may have ruffled some feathers today. Uh, 52 to 49. A JMU win over UVA. Not a great basketball game, but I think... Well, it was a great basketball game if you were a JMU fan. If you were... Yeah. If you were a random person who was scrolling through your television guide last night and you saw on CBS Sports Network, oh, UVA is playing this upstart JMU team. This should be a good game. And you tuned it in. It was a terrible game from that sense. Yeah, I mean, you, we barely crossed over 100 total points. So the shooting aspect of it was not all that great. Offensively, neither team was impressive. Defensively, I thought there was good defense on both sides. Mixed in with some bad shooting and you get kind of a, a rock fight. Uh, but for JMU, it's a huge win. It's it's a meaningful win against a good team. Um, not a great team, right? Like, probably not a team that's making the NCAA tournament. Like, I think UVA might be an NIT team. But at the same time, it's a program that recently won. Sorry, I got a bunch of notifications. <laughs> it's a program that recently won a national title. They've got Tony Bennett. We'll get into that. Um, <laughs> like, they're well-coached. They've got some pretty good players. I know that like the roster is definitely not as talented as, as it has been in years past, but it's the first time Jamie's ever beaten them, and they're not like a slouch of a program. It's a huge win. Yeah, it's they've never beaten UVA. They were 0-11 coming into this meeting. They had never beat beaten a team that was in the ACC, so that was the first win over an ACC school in program history. Um, was it ever? Ever, yeah. And then that was the first time JMU won a game. Well, that was the first time, I think, since 2009 when JMU played Ohio State, which was a game they lost where they didn't have a single player in double figures. Like, the list goes on and on. Like, of all the first, like, that game was absolutely insane. And, yeah, 2019, what, two years removed from winning the national championship, they're in – Harrisonburg, Virginia, they agree to come and play this game that was supposed to be played last year. They agree to switch it to this year so that Tony Bennett said um, they could quote unquote open up the building, help open up the building. Um, so that's a good, great move by them. And it yeah. was a fantastic game for JMU fans. Started out 10 to 2, and then JMU rattled off a 22 to 1 run. I'll negate the Kihei Clark corner three at the buzzer going into halftime. Essentially, it was a 22 to 4 run. And they held him to 14 points, the lowest ever in the Tony Bennett era. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of wild how long UVA went. It was about 12 minutes without scoring. I mean, it was it was insane, really, in the, if, at that point in the first half. If you listen back to the CBS Sports Network call, they're 
the, the highlights they're showing and you just hear Rich Waltz just like they haven't scored in seven and a half minutes. And then when Kihei hits the corner three, you just hear him go, finally. <laughs> yeah, wild that they went that long without scoring. They're a little bit offensively challenged. But I think we got to talk about the classiest man in America, Tony Bennett. Okay. And something, <laughs> something that just really bothers me about this, and maybe I'm in the minority here. The Ion College Basketball Podcast with Matt Norlander and Gary Parrish. I listened. They were absolutely raving about JMU, the atmosphere there. <clears throat> Calling it one of the best atmospheres Gary Parrish had ever been in. He said it was the loudest a college basketball arena can really get. Um, absolutely raving about it. But then they brought up Tony Bennett, and it's been kind of the talk where UVA – that's the only thing they're going to remember from this game is the FU Tony chants that were coming down and, and all of this and how JMU fans should just be appreciative that they even – they even traveled to Harrisonburg, so they should have been thanking him instead of – no, this is a rivalry. Like, I know it's not a rivalry game, but, like, there's bad blood between these schools. Not in, like, the terms of, like, we want to beat you up and see you in the streets, but, like, there's, like, an animosity there. And JMU has been the little kid, the little brother to UVA for all these years in basketball. And Tony Bennett was acting a little unprofessional on the sidelines. Could JMU fans have not chanted like F UVA and F Tony Bennett? Absolutely. Like if people want to have that opinion that it was classless, that's fine. I'm not really going to argue that it was like a classy chant. Yeah, no, it's not classy at all, but it's 18 to 21 year olds for the most part. 18, it was college age kids who are drunk. Like everyone there is intoxicated. Like things are going to be said. I'm so sick of the like UVA like being everyone's classy right tony bennett's the classiest man in the world he's a man of god because he drove an hour on a bus to play a basketball team like shut up like yes it was very nice of him to do what he did but where they treat him like a god like somebody literally replied that like he's a man of god why would they chant f you at him because he was across half court like it's literally that simple because he was across half court and the 18 year olds who had drank at least two beers going into the game what else are you going to say? I don't have a creative chant. Like, team up, maybe? Like, FU Tony is super easy to figure out as a student section. That's why it happened. Some people started doing it. Other people did it because the people next to him did it. For those in attendance, like, I thought nothing of that chant. It was like eight seconds. I thought nothing of it. But then it got tweeted out by a couple of media members. So then it blew up as people and were like, And then Tony oh, Bennett my. mentioned it in the postgame presser. He goes, I heard what some of them were saying, and I didn't appreciate that. But, I mean, at the end of the day, the atmosphere was fine. Like, it was fine yeah. for Tony. Like, again, not the classiest thing in the world. But at the same time, like, UVA fans have said some stuff in some games. Like, don't act like they haven't. I know that's not, like, an excuse, right? It'd be cool if everyone was just nice to each other. But in college sporting atmospheres, that is very rarely the case. You look at even like the FCS playoffs. Remember when JMU traveled to Colgate and their players were getting hit in the head with like ice snowballs that the Colgate student section was throwing. Like college sporting events are insane and you can't really completely police that. So I was getting a little frustrated when people were like, how could they possibly say it to Tony? It, Mark Byington didn't say it. Mark Byington, the players were super appreciative that they were willing to play the game in Harrisonburg. That's what really matters. Like, if you're going to get all upset and like lose sleep over what a college student section is saying, when a lot of Jamie fans, the Jamie administration, like a lot of them were not approving of those acts at all. It's just a weird way to like judge someone because I'm sure every student section in the country. Yep. Acts similarly. Thank you for, yeah. Cause go to Cameron indoor, go to Allen Fieldhouse, go to 
any like major place. And I guarantee you, maybe it's not as aggressive as F you Tony, but it's still like you effing suck. You are a terrible human. Like, and sometimes without even cursing, they get even more personal and like aggressive. And here's, I mean, I don't mind it. Like that's the home court advantage, right? Like that's like, it's a student section. Like that's, <laughs> they're 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 our age they're younger than us of course they're gonna say stuff like that's the fun part of college athletics and coaches know that and tony bennett isn't some infallible like amazing human that deserves to be kissed at his feet and never be be you know made fun of or attacked or anything like that he's a coach for an opposing team in a high leverage situation jmu fans also this is kind of making fun of us in our own way. Never have been there before. People are like, act like you've been there before. Jamie hasn't in the last 40 years. That was funny too. I saw like an occasional take from some UVA people that was like, can't believe they rushed the court against our bad team. It's like, we're a bad team. <laughs> like, you don't, you don't understand? Like they haven't been relevant for decades. Of course they're going to storm the court when they beat a program that has that much prestige. Even if it's an NIT team this year, the program is why they rushed the court. And, Everything else we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, the first win over UVA, even if it's a bad team, yes. the first win in program history, the first win against an ACC team in program history, and probably the biggest win since the 1982 NCAA March Madness loss to Michael Jordan. And I say that jokingly, but it is one of the <laughs> biggest wins in probably the last 40 years for this program. Huge win, yeah. And like the other thing, like you want to talk about class. Like, didn't the UVA Twitter account have a graphic earlier in the day of, like, one of their players dunking on the Duke dog? Didn't they also clip Mark Byington when Mark Byington was making a very polite comment about how UVA travels well and would have some fans there and turn it into a 25-second hype video about how they're going to bring the orange to Harrisonburg? Like, all right, like, if you want to do that, like, you're also going to have some people talking and going back to you. So that was super annoying that they were, like, acting all holier than now when their official team account was kind of poking the bear for two days. And I will say that too. And also I will say none of the UVA fans in like attendance, like there were no JMU fans that there was one incident, but it was like a joking incident. I thought uh, that was super nice. The, the UVA fan that came into the student section. <laughs> yeah. The UVA fan came into the student section. She met up with her boyfriend. She's like the only one in orange and everyone jokingly booed her. And they gave her a bunch of booze for like 20 seconds. He was laughing about it. She was laughing, was laughing about it. Yeah. Everyone, Everyone around them laughed about it. Like, that was a really cool thing. And nobody, and like, all, heckled the rest of the game. Yeah, and I was going to say, we had UVA fans around us where we were sitting. No one was chirping back and forth. There was no, like, bad blood in the state. It was all on the court. Like, every, every angry thing that was said wasn't directed to people around them. It was all, like, on the court, what's happening. I thought it was pretty, like, I guess that it was kind of a docile, cr I mean, not docile, and like, it was loud. They knew when to get loud. They were getting hyped. They were getting into it. But, like, th there was one chant, and it just happened to include an expletive. Okay. They had, yeah, they had, a, like, 10 seconds that was not, like, I guess the best reflection of JMU. And it was a chant where a lot of times I feel like a student section might have a couple students close to the court saying some crazy stuff to a player that's like horribly inappropriate, but it's not picked up on because it's not a chant, right? It's not the whole student section, like going to town on someone's sister or something. So like, I don't know. I think that's maybe why it stood out more, but super annoying to have like the flood of UVA fans like huh, Jamie fans couldn't even handle it with class. Meanwhile, we're over here on grounds 
treating everyone with respect on the lawn. <laughs> we're first years, all our first years and our second year play. Like, just shut the fuck up. Like, some, honestly, man, sometimes their fans are insufferable. I hope this gets its way into the UVA crowds and you just... They're like, for the most part, they're really polite. And like, I've had incredible interactions with them when I cover the team for two years. Bunch of really nice people. Tony's a great guy. Like, they have lots of wonderful people within the athletic department and the fans. And at the same time, they're salty as fuck that they lost. Like, that's a lot of this. Is like, I don't think they'd be saying anything if their team won. Yeah, I mean, if you go into into, like the CBS Sports Network tweets and even JMU Basketball's tweets and you just scroll through the replies, it's all like, why'd you storm? You don't even deserve this win. This is our bad team. See us next year when we have good recruits. How this isn't even a good win. Like how, and it's just like, why are you going out of your way to go to these accounts and reply? Or like a JMU fan will be like, yes, this is awesome. And they're like, no, you suck. And we suck too this year only, but you're always going to. It's like, why? They also like, they do some of it stereotypical and some of it is true. They give off an air of superiority where they're like, oh, just miss JMU or just miss UVA. See, I'm too stupid. I went to JMU, but they're like, just missed UVA is that's what JMU stands for. And they're, if, I mean, this, it's the same thing with like Tony. The reason they're upset is because they consider Tony not necessarily a part of their identity, but it's someone they cherish. So if you say anything bad about Tony, who's given them a lot of really good memories and certainly is a very classy person, even though I felt like the amount of times people called him classy yesterday was like nauseating, but he is really classy. He's a nice guy. So like when people insult him, they get upset. And I understand that. The same thing with JMU. If people spend four years there and they love it and it's tied to their identity and has these great memories and you're like, oh, that was my safety school. That was my backup. Like, of course they're going to be pissed off. So like, that's the kind of thing that I feel like UVA fans have given off a little bit of. So I thought the game overall was fun. The interaction after was a little bit annoying on both ends where people were just arguing, but like, it was cool that they came to JMU. That was kind of my main takeaway. Awesome. that JMU was able to win the game. I thought the players and coaches all handled it really well and really respectful on both sides. I hope it's a matchup that continues. Um, Yeah. I mean, I thought it was overall, it was like an incredible experience and UVA coming to JMU made it so that we have an experience. We'll probably remember for forever. Like that was really cool. We, sort of we didn't rush the court all that fast we got ourselves onto the court we had a really good walk the court but it was cool it was cool to be on the court it was cool to watch that game with friends we had uh one uva fan who was in our group and i thought she was super super nice and kind of put up with our our jokes and all that good stuff so like i thought for the most part like the section we were in like you had said i thought it was really good natured and like it was pretty good i guess aside from those those quick chants that UVA fans have taken to mean that everyone who's ever associated with the school is a classless loser. Well, you know, if I, when I remember this game, I'm not going to remember the 22 to four run. I'm not going to remember, you know, all that great stuff that happened. I'm going to remember the terrible chance that um, the student section rained down on <laughs> God almighty, Tony Bennett. Um, with that being said, I think we, we have a 15 minute rant to start about, <laughs> about social media, about all that. Real quick to just hit on the players. I mean, no one yeah. scored in double digits. Morse led the team with nine points. Uh, Molson had eight, but until the final 30 seconds, he only had four. Um, and then he hit two of the biggest shots of the season so far. Wooden had a good game. Falden, good game. Amadi. Um, Strickland had seven. Sule had six and was kind of a dog down low. He had six rebounds. Yeah. Amadi had seven. Both of them really uh, – outplayed my expectations they're going up against a seven footer in Shedrick who 
I don't know why they just didn't feed him the ball more, but they did. Sule, Sule and Amadi combined for great stuff. Ihanacho, pretty good. A couple mm-hmm. of mistakes here and there, but overall his game was really good. He would play great defense, and um, that came up big. Jalen Hodge, no points, eight minutes. Um, and Terrence Edwards played four minutes and no points, but good. They both combined for five shots, and, and there were good shots that eventually will fall. Yeah, I mean, I don't think Jamie played all that well. But it was I, like a C minus game, honestly. I think like so shooting wasn't that great. They were four of eleven from the free throw line. They had more turnovers than assists, but the defense was really good. And I thought the offensive like action for the most part was really good. They just didn't get some of the shots to fall, um, which kind of happens a lot against UVA. So there were some positives to take away from it, especially defensively. I think they're trending in the right direction. I think the offense is going to get better. Um, the rest of the schedule is pretty easy, to be honest with you. Doesn't mean they're going to win out. Got 21 games left. I think there's probably a handful of losses in there still. Um, would be my sort I of. Think, I think probably four, three to five losses in CAA play. Yeah, I th- it could even be more. I mean, if you go 12 and six in conference, it's not even bad. Yeah. It tends to be tends to be toward the top of the league. So I think they'll be pretty good. Um, I was pleased with it. I thought they played good basketball it was fun to watch and kind of fun to watch them battle through some nerves at the beginning and get themselves back into it yeah I think we battled through some nerves too we got really down on ourselves when they were down 10-2 we were sitting in the stand and we're like this is over there's no way they're gonna come back if you had told me that they would go on a 22-4 to run to close out this first half I would have looked at you like you were crazy like it was actually insane but Byington that was his game plan he talked about it with Gary Parrish that his game plan was to take away their inside shots and just let them take threes. And it worked. What a game plan. Yeah. That's why they were able to limit Shedrick a little bit too, is they would double the ball knowing they doubled that the you... ball. So well. thank you. I completely forgot about this point. They doubled the ball so well and had such great defensive rotate. Oh man. Mm-hmm. It was nice. It is. It's also nice when the team you're playing is so bad at shooting threes that you can double the ball. They get a wide open three and you're like, I'm happy you're shooting that. <laughs> so I think that's where Virginia in the past, when they have like, they had DeAndre Hunter, Kyle Guy, and Ty Jerome, plus some guys down low, where if you would double the post or something, they would kick it up to Kyle Guy, who would drain a three. Like that's when they were really special as they had all those shooters. So certainly a different team, but I thought JMU's trending in the right direction. They're playing way better defense than they were ever close to doing uh, during the Rowe era. And honestly, at times during the Brady era. So I think they're, they have a chance to be a pretty special team these next couple of years. We'll see how long they can keep Byington, maybe. And someone else I think we need to to really talk about, to call Molson four points in the game. Wasn't having the best game, I'll be honest. I'll, I'll call it like it was. Um, and then in the final 30 seconds, maybe 45 seconds, he hits two was, of the biggest shots ever. It was technically about 75 seconds. Okay, sorry. The last final 75 seconds, he then scores – the same amount of points he had coming into the final 75 seconds scores four points back to back contested spinning fall away, ugly jump <laughs> um, that somehow go in. I mean, that's what makes games so fun. I mean, you're sitting back now and you're doing a podcast. And you're like, I don't think you should have taken that shot to call, but you can't argue with the results. He hits them. Just that was insane. It's interesting because, like, he definitely made some mistakes in the game, but he's one of those guys that I'm starting to feel like, like I think Byington is just going to play him and have him, like, feel out how to be the most efficient that they can. Like, the same with, like, Bono Morse. 
who coming into the last two games hadn't been that efficient this year, was really efficient against FAU and was really efficient. And I'm skipping over the Eastern Mennonite game because it's not really a game in my mind. Uh, but then really efficient in the game against UVA, was was smart with his shots, passed the ball well. Um, Kihei Clark could not stay in front of Bottom Moore. So, like, both those – They switched Kihei off in the second half. Like, yeah. that's how bad he was getting burned. It was really impressive what Morse was doing. So, um, I think both those guys, Molson as well, like, you just got to give him time to kind of figure some things out. But Molson has the ability to get into the lane. And I think that's where he's going to be his best, right? Is kind of driving and scoring. And some of those contested shots against UVA are probably going to have a lot more separation against like uh, Drexel. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's also crazy that the only two players in this game scored in double figures. We were talking about how UVA didn't really feed it to Shedrick much, who was the seven footer down low. He finished the game three for three and two for two from the free throw line, finished with eight points. I think it's weird that you didn't just feed it to him more, but I mean, good thing for the Dukes because at the end of the day, they win it um, in an absolutely thrilling game. Do you have any other thoughts that you want to hit on this, uh, on this game? Just happy they won. You know, it was one, like they had a shot to win. They probably could have won by more and they made it kind of electric late, but they found a way to win really cool experience for the fans who were able to rush the court. Everyone who was there. Um, we ranted a little about kind of the reaction, whatever online, doesn't really matter. I think UVA fans that were there were seemed polite. Everyone seemed polite in the arena. For the most part, I think UVA fans are, are fine compared to other fans online. So that is what it is. Um, I was just happy that, that Jamie found a way to win a really meaningful game, and I'm excited about the rest of the season, um, thinking more toward potentially NIT, whether it's if they're allowed to win the regular season and get, get a berth, or if they could have a really good enough conference run that maybe they could even get an NIT at large. Um, so I think something like that, some sort of postseason tournament, not the NCAA tournament necessarily, but would be really cool for this program. Definitely not the NCAA tournament. I mean, they probably have to win. Yeah, they'd have to win out. And even then, I don't think they're a lock to make an at-large. No, they, there would be a case that they would not be good enough still. <laughs> so NIT is kind of the thing. And, and then, yeah, we don't know. Hopefully, it may, hopefully it'll be figured out, but we don't know as of right now, as of recording, if they're even eligible to win the regular season title, which the regular season title comes with the NIT automatic berth. And then if the regular season champion wins the then postseason tournament for the CA, I think the NIT automatic berth then goes to the second place team. So don't know if JMU is even eligible to receive that from the CAA. Um, so that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. 100%, but it was a hell of an experience. It was fun to be there with you. I think we enjoyed our time. Uh, cool to be in Harrisonburg for that game, there's no doubt. Yeah, and our Airbnb was fantastic. If uh, if you guys need a, a recommendation for an Airbnb, uh, slide into our DMs and we can hit you, hook, you, hook you up. It had a rain shower. It was awesome. It was really nice. It was set up well. It was not overly expensive for a couple of nights, so I enjoyed it. You know what else was really enjoy, enjoy, enjoyful? Enjoy Enjoyable. Enjoyable. I like enjoyful. <laughs> as, for someone who likes to talk as much as I do, I've been, I've had a terrible way with words. Last night I tried to say jest. I tried to use jest yeah. in a sentence and I just completely butchered it now with enjoy. enjoy what was it? You said enjoyful. <laughs> I know, what's the word that I was looking for? Enjoyable, I think. Okay, yeah. Another <laughs> enjoyable experience was uh, bring on Frank Gagola, um, who is a beat writer for Missouri football. 
Montana. Uh, just just take it over, Bennett. I can't talk. He's with – so it's with – this is a very fair mistake that I will defend. He's with the Missoulian is, I believe, how it's pronounced. So it sounds like you're saying Mizzou, but that's just the name of the newspaper up there in Montana. So, yeah, he's the Montana beat writer. We talked to him, had a good conversation, I think. Um, gave us some good insights. We're going to try to have guests on, I think, as long as Jamie stays alive in the FCS postseason. Um, we'll try to do that. Um, we'll see about his score prediction. Uh, our guy, was it Rob? Our guy, Rob. Rob, tough score prediction for him, although he did sort of qualify it saying that he doesn't like to give predictions. So I think fair enough on him. Uh, but it was cool to hear from him a little bit about Southeastern. And I think the Montana insights are pretty valuable as well. Yeah, so take it away. Pass Bennett with Frank. And we'll welcome in Frank Gagola of the Missoulian newspaper. He is a Montana football beat reporter for them. He is one of the FCS Stats Top 25 voters, I believe, as well. Frank, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. And you'll probably do a better job than I. Can you tell our listeners where they can find you? Just we'll lead off with this. I know some JMU fans uh, love to find opposing beat writers and follow their stuff for at least one week. Where can they find all your information? And also just on some background, how long have you been following Montana football? Yeah, you can uh, follow me on Twitter at Frank Gogola. G-O-G-O-L-A, and you can find all of our work is at 406mtsports.com, and um, I've been out here covering Montana since 2017, uh, initially covering the men's basketball team, and then took over covering football in 2018, so I've been covering them ever since then. Awesome, awesome. They've got a pretty darn good team. They're historically good, and, and this year they seem particularly good. They're coming to Harrisonburg, a Friday night matchup. Uh, ESPN two, I think it is. So that's going to be certainly an exciting game for the fans. And at least Jack, from my perspective, I looked at the box score. Montana just beat Eastern Washington to advance to the FCS quarterfinals and play JMU. I was really um, taken aback by how well Montana played on special teams yeah. in that game. Frank, is that something they're, they're usually adept at? I guess, what did you sort of see from that game in terms of Montana special teams play? Yeah, special teams is something they've always been good at under coach Bobby Houck, even going back to when he was first in Montana from 2003 to 2009, they always dominated on special teams, whether it was running back punts for touchdowns or kickoffs for touchdowns. And, and Bobby, before Bobby came back here, he was the special teams coordinator at San Diego state. So, I mean, yeah, it's, it really wasn't a surprise. It might be a surprise to some people watching them, but they treat it like, offense or defense like it's three phases of the game for them not not just two and it's one of those things where you don't ever want to look away during a special teams player it's some people might treat it as a chance to go to the concession or go to the bathroom but if you leave you're going to miss something so they have a kid Malik Flowers who has uh, returned five kickoffs for touchdowns um, since Bobby came back in 2018 Um, had two this year in the first four games and then teams have just decided that they're not kicking off to him anymore. I think he's had maybe one return in the past two months because teams will just squib kick it or kick it out to the other side of the field just to keep it away from him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and they had a, back in 2019, they had a guy who had three punt return touchdowns in his career. So Jeez. it's not really a surprise. But I know JMU has some good special teams too. 
Yeah, they have good special teams, but their 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 punt returner, um, I think it's Jack Swarba, is it is it this season? It's been kind of a, a rotating door at times, yeah. but when he's back there, he's uh, Mr. Fair Catch. I don't think they, I don't think he's ever returned one, um, not because of the lack of coverage. I just don't think the team. I don't want to throw him under the bus and say they don't trust him, but I, I swear it's every time it comes to him, he's just waving their fake hats and they're going to play the field position game. It's kind of funny. And the one thing you mentioned, punt return, Montana did have their starting punt returner got injured in the Eastern Washington game and he's been out for the season. So they've kind of gone between like four different guys trying to find someone. And I think they finally found someone with a true freshman junior Bergen back in the the rivalry game against Montana State two games ago, and then he had another good game in the playoffs um, this past weekend. So I think he's probably going to be their primary guy going forward for the rest of the year. Yeah, that stood out to me a lot, just that matchup, because JMU is historically, I guess, pretty decent in special teams. But you look at the the loss earlier this year, they had two short missed field goals that cost them to Villanova. Uh, the playoff loss last year to Sam Houston, they were abysmal on special teams. And then a previous national championship loss to North Dakota State. The Bison snuck in a fake field goal that was pretty important in that game. So, yeah, really interested to see how JMU kind of stacks up against that test because Montana special teams seem significantly better than some of the Colonial Athletic Association special teams. <laughs> yeah, and I know you guys got a pretty special kicker there too, and Montana brought in this grad transfer from Arizona State. I want to say he's made 17 in a row now, and he's up to 24 makes the season, which is the most in – school history going back to 2006 that's the last time they had someone make more so he's kind of been really consistent and given giving them a nice touch there but just looking at some of the special team stats you know the yards per return and yeah. yards coverage that sort of stuff this might be the first time this whole year that Montana's playing a team who has better numbers than them on special teams so I think that'll be an interesting area to keep an eye on yeah, for sure. We don't usually spend the first five minutes with our guests talking kickers, but uh, I guess today's that day. Jack, you got anything offense or defense that, that jumps out to you? I think the biggest thing is defensively, JMU fans probably look at that box score from the Eastern Washington game, and I think Montana allowed, what, over 500 yards through the air, and I think over 600 yards in total. But because of the special teams and uh, I think a pick six or something like that, Montana was able to pull out the win. Is that Is that kind of the – is that an outlier on the season? Do they normally have better defense than that? Or is their secondary kind of prone to being picked apart? Granted, they also were playing a Walter Payton finalist in Barrier. I think a lot of those, um, I'd say their defense and special teams are kind of like 1A, 1B, what you say is the, the strength of the team. Um, I'm pretty sure that's the most points they've given up this year. Barrier also threw the ball 80 times. Yeah. So. <laughs> something you, you see too often um but no their, their defense has has been good I mean they have six touchdowns on the defensive side of the ball this year and they have a cornerback who's Justin Ford had an interception in eight straight games nine total he was just finished fourth in voting for the Buck Buchanan award and then they have a linebacker Pat O'Connell who's in the top three and that's going to be announced later in in January. Um, but I mean, Montana, they really don't give up too many big explosive plays. They've only given up six plays over 50 yards this year, and Eastern Washington had five of those. And a lot of those have been touchdowns, or it's, you know, you just get to, somebody slips or somebody misses a tackle, and a, a loss behind the line of scrimmage last week turns into a 50 you know, something yard 
touchdown run by Eastern Washington's running back. So defense is, I think it'll be interesting to see the type of pressure they bring on, on um, Cole Johnson this week, because I know he's a, seems to be a pretty good decision maker. So it'll be interesting to see how he stacks up just with how much Montana pressures and where they bring their pressure from and disguising everything. It, it could be something he hasn't seen a lot of this year. Yeah, that's fascinating because JMU at times this year with some of the injuries, offensive line has kind of been hit or miss. So that is interesting if Montana brings some different disguised pressures because they have not ran the ball that well, JMU, and they've kind of relied on that passing. And against uh, Southeastern Louisiana, Cole Johnson's pocket was pretty darn good, and nobody was really covered on the outside either. I think he had <laughs> one of the easier, easier days he's had in a while. But Montana offensively, I was interested too. Because southeastern Louisiana played such that that high level, you know, passing attack where they're throwing the ball all over. Montana certainly seems like it's got more competent running backs and a willingness to pound the rock a little bit. What's sort of the offensive identity for Montana? It's been interesting. Um, they they lost their starting quarterback in the fourth game of the season, and then they were without him for about a month. He came back, made his first start the first week of November. And the offense has really seemed to pick up and click a lot more, and they're taking some more shots down the field, throwing the ball. Um, so that's been good to see, I guess. That I mean, their offense was, you know, decent, and it's the defense and special teams that had been winning them games all year. Now the offense is starting to pick up at kind of the right time in the in the season, um, and they were they're still missing their top two running backs. One of them got their All-American running back, Marcus Knight, got injured in the spring. He hasn't played all year. And then his backup got injured the week before the season opener. So they've been playing three true freshman running backs all year. Got down to their fourth true freshman running back at one point. And had, for a good part of the season, we're uh, relying on a actual true freshman, not a COVID shirt freshman, <laughs> actual true freshman who was recruited as a wide receiver and was moved to running back like 10 days before the season opener. And he had been carrying them a lot. And he's, it's Junior Berg and the same guy who's returning punts now. And they're lining him up a little bit more at slot receivers. They've gotten some of their other, other running backs back, like Xavier Harris and Isaiah Childs. They, they came into the year as like the third and fourth string guys, but they had to move up to one and two because of the injuries and then they had their own injuries so they're down to their fifth and sixth stringers but it's uh it's uh it's been interesting for sure and their top receiver Samari Torre had grad transferred out to Nebraska so they're yeah. missing him this year but they had um one of their other big tall 6'4 210 wide receivers Sammy Akam's kind of taken off the past month with the return of Cam Humphrey and he's tied for the school record and touchdown catches and he's top four in like receptions and receiving yards. So he's kind of coming alive at the right time too. And they just, they have a very veteran offensive line. Um, let's see three seniors starting and two sophomores. Um, Nebraska transfer, Washington state transfer, and then a division two transfer and, Funny enough, the right tackle is a former NAIA player who used to play quarterback 
at almost 300 pounds, he was playing quarterback. That's, <laughs> that's, a, that's a fun story. But um, I think it'll be their their offensive line is supposed to be really good. They've been they've been good. I think the expectation was for them to be better, but yeah. it'll be interesting to see how they stack up against JMU because I know watching them a little bit, it seems like they've just got a lot of size up front in their front seven there. Yeah, it sounds like that offensive line has a lot of good transfers. I think that's the the recipe for success for Jamie's defensive line. A lot of big transfers, a lot of power fives. I think of Minnesota, um, and that's the only power five I can think of. But I, there's a Towson transfer in there. I think there's a UCF transfer in there, unless he left. The defensive line's been a revolving door where it's just hard to keep up, but it's they've produced all season. I do want to say Montana's offensive line, I think their five starters averaged 315 pounds, which when they went on the road and beat Washington 13-7 in the season opener, I think their starting offensive line actually outweighed Washington's offensive line, which is how big they are. It's just a <laughs> testament or a stat to how, how big they are up front. That's that's a, awesome. I think that's a classic. That sounds like a classic Montana stat. They go into a Pac-12 team's house and <laughs> weigh them up front. <laughs> that's awesome. It seems like there are some fun similarities and then kind of parallels too, where like JMU has had a weird run of, of running back injuries this year too. They were down some depth there. Um, you know, offensive line, I guess, has been pretty good, but maybe was expected to be more dominant. And uh, special teams both sound good, so it seems like maybe there's some some mirror images here, at least in yeah. in some in some extent. So I'm looking forward to this one. Jack, you got anything else that that stands out you want to ask? Well, I think we we ask every guest we have on, especially during the playoff time, if you're comfortable with it. I know some beat reporters <laughs> don't like giving score predictions, don't like giving like predictions out to the game. We would love to hear your kind of prediction for how this game's going to play out. Okay. Well, we do make predictions for this weekly tab. We do Love it. insert it in our paper. So <laughs> um, I, I did pick the Grizz for that 27-23. I know you guys got a good field goal kicker, so I figured maybe kicks a lot of <laughs> field goals, the Grizz stop them in the red zone. Um, and I just don't know if they've uh, if JMU's seen a defense that's just going to bring as much pressure and disguise things and drop guys back with this 3-3-5 they run. And I, I just kind of curious if it uh, throws Cole Johnson off at all and maybe he does throw an interception or two in this game or I mean Montana they're going to play with a lot of pursuit to the ball and every, you're going to see all 11 guys going to tackle the ball every time and they, they randomly will just punch one out when it looks like just a normal tackle so a turnover here or there I think could really swing this game and what I think is probably going to be a close maybe a lower scoring game I dig it I, I definitely feel like both sides are going to score fewer points than last week. I don't think we'll have a, a 59-57 kind of deal. <laughs> but yeah, this, this should be a heck of a matchup. Uh, prediction makes sense, too, because Jamie's had some some red zone woes this year where they, they do rely on a lot of field goals. Ethan Rack, he's been great, and sometimes he's been so great, he's kicked six field goals in the game. So <laughs> All within the 20. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Awesome. But I think that's, that's pretty much all we've got. Unless Jack, you've got any last thoughts? No, we appreciate it. Frank, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day and coming on and look forward to a great game. And if you want to drop your handles to follow or anything like that, again, Jamie fans will probably come and be following and taking in as much information as they can. 
Yeah, yeah. You can follow me on Twitter at Frank Gogola, G-O-G-O-L-A. And yeah, thank you, thank you guys for having me on. It's it fun, fun talking about the game. Looking forward to, to seeing it this Friday. Awesome. <laughs> thank <fun>. you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much, Frank, for coming on. That was an awesome talk. Loved his score prediction. I don't agree with his score prediction, but I love his score prediction. Great sound logic. I mean, and that, and that is really a way it could play out. Jamie's kind of known in big moments to, to kind of shoot themselves in the foot with mistakes, and they've also kind of struggled in big games on special teams, and that kind of makes this a perfect recipe for Montana to come in and kind of pull off the upset. I believe they're eight-and-a-half-point underdogs as of right now, according to Vegas Insider. Yeah, Montana's a significantly better all-around team than Southeastern Louisiana. And, and Montana was at one point regarded as one of the top teams in the nation. 100%. And they're still kind of in the mix. If they win this one, I think they'd be a, an interesting team to see how they would match up, likely with North Dakota State. Um, I think we should bring this up really, really quickly, Jack. We're at the basketball game on Tuesday night. They got an advertisement oh, on the Jumbo. Thank you for bringing this up. They got an advertisement on the Jumbotron that says last home playoff game ever. So JMU is completely discounted. Was it East Tennessee State's ETSU, chances? ETSU, the Bucks. They, they've completely, they've said ETSU has zero shot at winning this game. We're going to Fargo <laughs> next week. That's that, or, or maybe we're not even playing again next week. I'm not even going to look past this game, but JMU has looked past in for North Dakota State's sake. They're like North Dakota State. We already know you're in the semifinal. That's who we would be potentially playing. I thought that was like North Dakota State is probably going to win and probably going to cover the spread and, and destroy them. But it's just so hilarious that the, the, the marketing group at JMU literally saw that and was like last home playoff game ever. ETSU stands no chance. That cracked me up. And I think you had, when the bracket was announced, you're like, JMU's road to Frisco is going to go through Fargo again. And some people were like, well, technically it might not. And then they were like, nah, but probably it. There's no chance they, their path, they would make a Mickey Mouse path. They did. And looking at the other side of the bracket really quick, I think Montana State, quick picks on that. I think Montana State's going to upset Sam Houston. And I think San Diego State's going to upset Villanova. I think we'll see some upsets on the left side of the bracket. South Dakota State. What did I say? It sounded like you said San Diego, but I also might have zoned out. I very well could have because in my head, I, I, I abbreviate both of them in my head as SDSU. Um, and so when I'm pulling from my brain, I've also said Missouri when I met Montana. It's been a bad time. Either, either one, either SDSU, I think, has a good shot against Villanova. I agree. Um, so I kind of expectations in this Montana game. Um, I mean, Frank really covered it all and, and we discussed it. I, I think – I think what this game comes down to is Cole Johnson can't make mistakes. The offense can't make mistakes and they have to take advantage of their opportunities, specifically in the red zone. It is worth mentioning against Southeastern Louisiana. They had two red zone trips and they only scored a touchdown on one of them. Uh, maybe I'm just being a complete pessimist and just being really just cynical about this whole team. Um, but it's worth noting. So what are kind of your expectations? What do you think Jamie needs to do to win and what's your score prediction? I think it's got a chance to be competitive. I think the thing that keeps standing out to me that I really am having a hard time shaking is that Eastern Washington outgained Montana by a good amount. And it felt like Eastern Washington, if it played better special teams and didn't have a couple like key errors that led to short fields, a lot of those were on special teams, they would be in Harrisonburg. So I think that's the thing where I feel like if JMU can avoid those mistakes, I do think JMU is probably a better team and can win. 
Although some of the stuff Frank had mentioned about disguising blitzes in the three, three, five, which is kind of not, it's a little bit overblown now, but like in the past, it's kind of given Jamie some sort of fits. I believe that's uh, what Villanova runs. And that was the loss of the yeah. season and probably one of the worst offensive outputs. And that's what, isn't that what uh, Elon had when Signetti was there and they upset, I think they yeah. ran a three, three. So yeah, the three, three, five can give them a little bit of a trouble. Jamie also runs a three, three, five. Yeah. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to sort of see how they sort of do that. Cause Jamie, again, they're practicing against a defense that kind of gets multiple at times and things like that. So I don't know. I think they'll have a chance to certainly win the game JMU, but it's a, it's kind of a little bit like the, like New Hampshire on steroids where like, if you make a bunch of mistakes, they're going to get you. And it, it sort of feels like that, except Montana's way more confident. So it's not the same level of mistakes. It's like a turnover here or there or a blocked punt here or there, a missed field goal here or there. And they can certainly upset JMU. What I can't shake is that they allow – I know it was against Eric Berrier, one of the best quarterbacks in the nation. They threw for over – they threw over 80 times, 81 attempts in that game. I just can't shake that Montana defense that is their strong suit allowed over 600 yards of total offense. That's – Like, that's, that's – like not even that they outgained Montana. Just the fact that 600 yards of total offense is a lot of over 50 – I think they allowed 47 points, was it? Uh, 61 or sorry, 61, 57 to 41. Okay. 40. Just, but I don't know. I, I just can't shake that. That's supposed to be their strong suit and Eastern Washington kind of picked it apart. And I'm not saying Cole Johnson is an Eric Berrier, but Cole Johnson has shown, especially in the last few weeks. And I mean, really this entire season that he's one of the better quarterbacks in the FCS. So if Montana was kind of able to be picked apart, if Cole studies the film, understands the disguises, and he can find Antoine Wells and Chris Thornton. I think I think JMU's in for a good game. What's the final score? Did you already give that? I would say I'll say it's thirty-one to twenty JMU. I think for me, uh, I worry for Montana's sake a little bit. I think their passing attack is fine, but I think you kind of need a dynamic aerial attack or like a dominant running game yeah. to to kind of beat JMU. And Montana's averaging, excuse me, three point seven yards per carry. That's not really dominant. They've been great defensively and on special teams, but I think you need a little more offensively uh, to give JMU a good run. So I'll say 31 to 20. I think JMU might make some mistakes, but sort of feel their way through the game. I like that. I'm going to go 34, 20, kind of similar to you, but I think JMU settles for two field goals at one point. And I think maybe a field goal here and there for uh, Montana makes it a 34, 20 game. One quick thing I wanted to mention before we head off here. I'm going to roll through where Montana played their games this year. Washington, Montana, Montana, Washington, Montana, Montana, Idaho, Montana, Colorado, Arizona, Montana, Montana. I do think the fact that they're legitimately traveling into like a different time zone. I know the games at like a very normal body clock time, but like you're playing on the road in a hostile environment, even if it's not full and you've got, you know, you're going to the East coast. It's kind of a level of travel they haven't really experienced this year I do think that could be a factor where like JMU being at home the comfort of your own bed all that kind of stuff I actually think will play a little bit of a factor I think it's a huge deal that it's at JMU and not at Montana where I think Montana at that point might be my pick yeah I'm glad you mentioned that because JMU fans were talking about home field advantage and about how people weren't coming out for the games and and then that then what's the point of even having home field advantage 
I think that's only a very small percentage of home field advantage. Everything you just mentioned, being at home, being in your own bed, being in your own locker room, having your same routine, you're not traveling, you're not getting up, you're not getting into an airplane because that affects your body as well. All of that is, is, is I think, even more the reason why you want home field advantage. Not necessarily what's going to happen on Friday night in the stands, but what's happening Monday through Thursday, Monday through Friday morning before the game. Yeah, I, th- I think JMU is good enough to win this one. Home field helps. I just, I wouldn't be like overly upset or anything if they lose. I do think Montana is a, a really solid team. Oh, good football team. But I think I'd feel very content if JMU can at least make a trip to Fargo, you get to the semifinals, and then you have a shot there. And also, from a rooting perspective, man, like the fact that they could go Fargo. And then they could end at Frisco with realistically either like Sam Houston, a Villanova rematch or South Dakota state. God, like that sounds incredible. Also this final run's pretty amazing because all the alumni alumni have such a connection to Montana. <laughs> Is that a real thing? Didn't they lose to Montana in a game earlier? And didn't they, oh. <laughs> they win the national championship against Montana? They have the yes, they have the past playoff connections. I thought you had meant that there was like a large JMU alumni chapter in Montana. Oh, no, no, no. I, I like, meant like what? <laughs> I meant like alumni. Alumni have connect like they have, um, like there's, us in Youngstown yes. State. Like there's, I think that's really cool too. That's a great point. Is that like the rest of the matchups throughout the rest of the season probably have like a a history, like a historical aspect to them where they've met before. South Dakota State. Oh, even South Dakota State has a historical aspect to it. Yeah, remember, they only turned it over 10 times against us. <laughs> <laughs> All right. For Bennett Conlin, do you have anything else to add in real quick? No, that's it. For Bennett Conlin, my name's Jack Fitzpatrick. You guys have a wonderful rest of your day. Uh, Jukes play Friday. Kickoff is 7 p.m. I think that's correct. Oh. Kickoff is on ESPN2 at 7 p.m. Friday night, and then JMU men's basketball will face off against Radford on Saturday. Thursday night, you got uh, women's basketball plays Villanova at home as well. Perfect. Thursday, head on out to the Atlantic Union Bank Center. That's going to be another big one. Um, And, yeah, for Ben Conlon, my name is Jack Fitzpatrick. See ya. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.